The technology behind powering electric vehicles has gained real momentum in recent years and is evolving rapidly. In this episode, we explore some of the most notable developments that have occurred over the past year to make electric vehicles more accessible to consumers and detail why now might be a good time to join the revolution. We'll also look at the exciting future of e-mobility and what developments can be expected over the next 12 months and beyond. Joining me today is the Chief Strategy Officer at New Motion, Ian Kayser, battery expert Josh Carmichael, and the co-founder and Chief Strategy Officer at Lightyear to discuss the evolution and future of e-mobility. Welcome, guys. Hey, welcome. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having us. Uh, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, so, Ian, we'll start with you. The 2021 New Motion Electric Vehicle Driver Survey has provided a fascinating insight into the perception of EVs. People have been seeing more and more press coverage about the development of technology in this area, particularly when it comes to smart charging and plug and charge. And I think, if nothing else, there's a general curiosity from the public about how things are evolving. How exciting is it to be working in this industry right now? Yeah, thanks, Dan. It's really exciting uh, to be in this industry at this moment. I think a lot is going on. Last year with COVID, there was a question around the speed of adoption of electric vehicles. And actually, we see that it's just increasing more rapidly, especially outside the Netherlands, Germany, France, really taking off. Energy transition is on everyone's radar. Um, so a lot of visibility from media, but uh, also the financial markets. Big boom at this moment. Uh, everyone is uh, interested in uh, e-mobility. And I think what we see from an um, employee point of view is that many people want to work for companies working in um, electrification. So that's uh, yeah, really nice uh, to be in at this uh, moment of time. Absolutely. And how long have you been in the industry? I've been in motion for three years. And before that, uh, I was in the industry already two years before while working at McKinsey and uh, seeing firsthand when the first electric truck was announced by Tesla. And it's uh, yeah, incredible how fast things have moved on uh, since that moment. Fantastic. And Josh, you've got a very fascinating perspective on this industry, working primarily within batteries, but also other evolutions in technology as well. How exciting is it for you to be a part of this? Yeah, extremely exciting. Um, so I've, I've been in this industry for in total 13 years. I actually did my master's in, in Amsterdam at Uber focusing on the strategies of automotive companies, looking at their EV strategies back then in 2008. And it's really fascinating to see back then they were predicting a, a boom in EVs and fuel cell. Uh, but, you know, it took another 10 years maybe to get to the point where we are. But what we've seen in the last three years uh, has been phenomenal growth in not only the transport sector, uh, so cars and buses, but also the energy sector in, in combination with each other around batteries and also uh, fuel cell and hydrogen um, so for me personally, whether it's in transport energy, uh, where my career has taken me, I've always been surrounded by this topic and, uh, and I continue to learn new things and get fascinated by as we continue to grow through every year. Very exciting. Absolutely. And uh, I guess no two days are the same, really, and certainly no weeks are the same in this industry. That's right. Now, Martijn, when I think about the evolution and future of e-mobility, I instantly think of Lightyear. Now, for those that aren't familiar with some of the great work that you guys are doing, can you tell us more about your mission to provide clean mobility everywhere? Yeah, sure. Um, so we, we founded Lightyear uh, uh, with indeed the, the idea to, or the mission to, uh, to provide clean mobility for everyone. And that came from the fact that we, we joined as university students, we joined the World Solar Challenge uh, since uh, 2013. 
Uh, and after the second time winning that that challenge uh, with a, a family solar car, so four-seater road legal uh, solar vehicle, we thought that it might be the next drop to enhance adoptability of electric vehicles. Uh, so having a vehicle that's less dependent on infrastructure, that can drive long distances with a very small uh, battery, uh, we thought that might be a, a way to really increase that adoption speed. And actually, because we've built multiple of them before that time we thought so let's uh, try to make this into a consumer uh, proposition and work on the next generation of electric cars and then we've been doing that within Lightyear since since 2016 now so uh, almost four years now it's a beautiful development and you talk about you know Lightyear having a relatively small battery small battery equals uh, lighter battery that equals lighter frame lighter car and obviously makes it more efficient do you see that that is probably one of the biggest opportunities for the market and the EV sector yeah definitely so the the um, i think that's there's a there's a lot to win in that that efficiency because indeed as you as you already uh, mentioned that efficiency enables a lot of other things so if you if you have a smaller battery, the the weight goes down. A smaller battery is uh, efficiency. Make sure that you can go further on one kilowatt hour of energy. So charging uh, goes quicker in terms of kilometers an hour that you can uh, that you can charge. If we make efficiency efficiency work to the extent that we're doing uh, at the moment, then even uh, investing in a solar panel on top of the vehicle makes a lot of sense uh, because it it brings significant energy to the uh, to the vehicle and. Uh, and gives that extra peace of mind for its users that a vehicle like continuously trickle charges when you're using it and when you're not using it. Uh, and that you can always go to find the charging infrastructure for the moments that you need that extra top off energy to do a road trip or to add on to your daily uh, daily usage. And it certainly, you know, helps with people's range anxiety as well um, with the technology you're developing there. Yeah, definitely. That's the main feedback we get from uh, potential customers indeed. I think the interesting bit is really the use cases of consumers are so different. And um, if you look at uh, different markets, different geographies, um, there is a big need for a diverse set of solutions. So some people drive a very uh, small distance per day, every day the same. So they don't need any charging during the day, just overnight. Well, I think uh, more time what you are developing is a lot of technology that's relevant for all users, but specific use cases like in Southern Europe or even Africa, where maybe there is no charging electricity uh, available, could be a real um, use case. Yeah, interesting uh, developments. Really curious what the um, other OEMs think of uh, Lightyear and how they are approaching for your technology, but that's probably worth a separate uh, podcast uh, now, Josh, one of the biggest innovations, I guess, within the EV industry has to be the battery. Uh, we've seen a huge amount of development in this area to reduce the battery size, as we've just heard from Martin there, and, and in terms of what he's doing to reduce the, not only the size, but the weight and, of course, the distance that a vehicle can travel on a full charge. Can you walk us through how things have evolved in that area over the past few years? Yeah, so it's, it's quite interesting, um, and I wholeheartedly support Martin's comment around the energy density uh, so my current employer, uh, Connection, um, which is a transdev group, they do uh, electric buses, one of the largest operators globally, actually, outside of uh, China. And uh, we've got a huge fleet in Amsterdam, uh, Harlem Island, North Holland North, Eindhoven, of course, uh, ZOB concession in the Netherlands and, and across Europe. And what's really interesting is to see, even in the first concessions for Eindhoven to Amsterdam, the technology developments in the last three years have rapidly increased across the board from 
the cell technology, the, the different type of chemistry from LFP to, or NMC to LFP, but also the, the cooling systems involved. And there's a lot of different factors that affect the performance of a battery. And I think in the beginning, a lot of focus was on cost and energy density, uh, because of course, if you make a battery smaller and lighter weight, you can fit, for example, on a bus more passengers. If you can go longer distances with less weight, uh, including carbon fiber, uh, instead of aluminium or steel in, in your bus, these all are wins uh, that you gain. Um, but that also changes dramatically your operations from, for example, a slow overnight depot charging solution to a fast charging solution. Um, but I just want to pick up on one point here in particular. The big difference in the EV world from the internal combustion world is that when you used to buy a car, you would uh, look at the engine separate from your fuel. So an engine, you would last two, three, four hundred thousand kilometers. And your fuel, you would, you know, if you drove faster on the highway and you use air conditioning, it would go down and you would fill up. With electric and what we see with buses in particular, that combination of engine and fuel is now the same. So the more that you use the buses and the more that you charge and the faster you do things is great for your operations, but it may be killing the battery in a, in a health sense over the lifetime of a, of a concession. So you have to look after the engine, the battery. Uh, while also not consuming too much of the fuel, which is your battery as well. So um, definitely charging, battery, cooling, all of these uh, technical things are having a huge influence on the development of batteries in general and the how the batteries are applied in operations from, from buses and cars, but also in the energy world uh, as well is, is quite fascinating to see. Absolutely. And Ian, there's been many other notable developments within the EV industry, um, in particular smart charging and plug and charge uh, for these batteries. Are those just two that stand out to me um, that are in the main, but are there others that uh, have caught your attention over the past few years? Um, yeah, there, there are a lot, but I think um, building on Josh's point um, and also making the link to smart charging, if you look at passenger vehicles, the majority of the time you drive less than 50 kilometers on a day and definitely less than your total product range. Definitely less than a battery range of 200 kilometers. So that means that you can charge easily in the night and basically you don't need to go to a fast charging uh, location, which doesn't impact the battery. And overnight, you don't need to top it up to 100%, but just to 80%. So that also saves the battery. And then still, there is quite some opportunity for the uh, smart charging to take place. So. If you are parked for 12 hours, you only need two hours of charging. You can basically do it at the most convenient time to be as sustainable as possible and as cheap as possible. So that's a trend we are seeing. Um, not all utilities support uh, the monetization of this yet for the consumers. So that's a big trend we're seeing. Uh, different speed in different countries. UK is a front runner in that uh, sense. And um, yeah, I think it's really exciting to see. And I think if you look at the uh, consumers, many people don't realize before they actually buy an EV how they will charge. So many people think they will charge a lot at fast chargers, but actually they only need to do that if they are on a long trip, vacation or a weekend trip. And then actually it's very welcome to have a 20 minute stop instead of a 10 minute stop, drink a coffee, stretch, relax and uh, continue. So that's also where with Shell Recharge uh, we are focusing on to uh, give up people the opportunity to do this top-up um, if needed, so to prevent that range anxiety, yeah, provide the solutions at work and at home, because that's where the majority of charging uh, takes place. I think other notable developments is uh, the acceleration um, in adoption speed. So a couple of years ago, it was mainly 
Uh, Tesla, Nissan Leaf, and last year we really saw Volkswagen, ID3, ID4, BMW. So all uh, brands are launching their vehicles, not only top segment, but also uh, more lower segment. Not only corporate customers are driving EV, but also private consumers find now that the prices are coming down sufficiently with help of some subsidies to uh, buy a vehicle. And if we project the battery cost to go down in the next coming years, actually we expect that any vehicle is cheaper uh, in total cost of ownership and not uh, long after, even in um, the acquisition. So then the real question is, who will still buy uh, a non-electric vehicle? So uh, with the Netherlands 2030 uh, ban of sales uh, for non-electric vehicles, I actually think um, in many other European countries, it's not necessarily a ban, but it's just uh, what people want to buy, just because it's cheaper and more convenient and having all the benefits. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for sure EVs are much more accessible now. And we talk about that in, in our other podcast episode, EVs you know, for the many and not just the few now. Um, and that's certainly um, helping with some of these notable developments that you mentioned there. I think also what we're finding is that EV drivers uh, are turning out to be much better planners as well, because, you know, having to plan their stop, being forced to plan their stop uh, along the journey um, is something that we, we're hearing a lot of. But that's obviously makes journeys a lot more enjoyable than just plowing on through to these 500 mile journeys. Um, Martijn, when you um, decided to build out Lightyear, what was your research showing you um, about what consumers wanted and what people wanted from an electric vehicle that led you on your journey to building the Lightyear One? Yeah, the, the main points, and they still keep going back, even with the pace of EV adoption picking up. There's still the three main points, right? So that's, that's concerns about where can I charge and how much mental effort would that be? And most of the people that, that get an EV don't see that as a problem anymore because the, it works much better than people uh, people expect uh, oftentimes. Uh, second one is, uh, do I, will I have enough range? So that couple of times a year that I go on holiday, uh, is my journey going to take much longer? Is there going to be a queue at the fast charger? All those kinds of things. Uh, also one that in, re- in reality is, is actually quite slim of a problem that in a sense it doesn't really exist. And the third one is the, the purchase price of the vehicle. Uh, and that's also a good point to add maybe to the battery uh, segment that we talked about earlier. For most EVs, the battery is also still the most expensive part of the vehicle, right? So with that focus on efficiency and with the increasing efficiency of or, or power density of batteries, um, the price of the EVs will also go uh, uh, go down. And as Lightyear, we also see that as a as a big uh, competitive advantage by really focusing on efficiency in the rest of the vehicle as well. We can uh, uh, we can also reduce that battery size. And basically, the, the charging part uh, with with solar takes away a bit of the the charging hassle and amount of time you have to think about whether uh, when to charge, where to charge. Uh, but in the end, I think as, as Ion also mentioned, it's very much about that whole ecosystem developing at the right pace for people to uh, to enjoy electric vehicles as they uh, as they have ICE counterparts in the in, in the past. I think just to hint on technology developments, what we now see is. And car OEMs um, or car manufacturers to launch vehicles where you can actually pick the battery size. So depending on your need, you pick a small battery, which is much cheaper and for the majority of people sufficient. Um, and then a very big battery for people who actually drive a lot of uh, kilometers, where the TCO is actually better um, because the more kilometers you drive, the better it is. But it needs to be uh, flexible. 
And I think on the, the charging with solar, that is also very interesting. So whether you integrate it on the car, like Lightyear's offering, or you have it on the roof, and you have a smart charger that actually makes sure that you charge during that moment of the day when the electricity is generated by yourself and making you self-sufficient. I think we will see uh, both. And for both in Northern Europe or Western Europe, it's a bit of a challenge in the winter, obviously, but that's why the grid is still there. Possibly hydrogen is a backup, but um, that will take, uh, I guess, 10, 20 years before we have sufficient green hydrogen available to buffer that supply. But that's probably Josh knows more about as well. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about hydrogen and the, the evolution there, because that is kind of the future, isn't it, Josh? So, you know, where is that going? What can we expect from hydrogen? Yeah, so uh, hydrogen is an interesting one from both the energy and transport perspective. I think so when I was in 2016, we had a blackout in South Australia. The, the whole grid went black. In the beginning, renewables were blamed, wind and solar. They, were, they tripped the, the, the transmission lines. And quickly, we afterwards sought a, a technical solution, which was the big battery. And a lot of people, predominantly from oil and gas, were saying, well, big batteries, you know, even at 100 megawatt after an hour, it's, it's dead. You, you can't support the grid. But we designed it in such a way that actually the, the battery would be there for frequency control more so than the actual megawatts uh, that would be coming out of it. So we designed it in a way that it would save the grid on the frequency side more so than energy supply. And I think uh, if you take that kind of notion in mind and you think about the performance of batteries, what they're good at, they're doing very, very fast interactions with uh, the grid, for example, in the energy side. Um, likewise, in the electric uh, transport side, they're very quick, right? Tesla's are three or four seconds off the mark, zero to 100. Uh, but they're also very good at storing energy for a, a given amount of time. Now, where does hydrogen play a role? Very similarly, it's able to store energy. And if you use, for example, electrolyzers, which is splitting water to make uh, hydrogen, you can also give frequency control to the grid. So actually, battery and hydrogen, in essence, are, are very similar. The difference is a battery is essentially a battery. Hydrogen can be either an electron or a molecule, electricity or a gas. And at the moment, hydrogen has been seen as many different things that the batteries only focus on basically being on your car or in your grid. And hydrogen is being considered for gas networks, for your house, uh, maritime, for, for ships, for trucks, for buses, cars, uh, a whole range of things. And I think if you look at transport, if you look at cars and buses, where hydrogen is at the moment uh, commercially and technically weaker than electric against head-to-head, uh, -head. it's the fact that you need so much energy and, and cost to get the hydrogen in your fuel tank to begin with, let alone the fuel stations, let alone then the efficiencies you get out of the, the fuel cell hydrogen uh, trucks and, and cars. So there's a big argument or debate going on in, in the industry between battery electric and hydrogen. There's not too many that like both at the same time. I'm one of those that equally support because I see a role in both. Um, but looking at fuel cell in buses at the moment, battery electrics are coming down so fast head to head with diesel right now that it's hard for fuel cell to play in that game for now in the coming five years within buses, different to trucks. Because what I mentioned before as well with batteries, the first batteries we bought were 180 kilowatt hours and now they're going up to three or 400 kilowatt hours. You're getting much more kilometers out of these same batteries and, and less weight and charging them maybe once in the day instead of twice. So the performance of the bus electric, sorry, electric buses uh, have grown so much quicker than, than fuel cell can compete to the point where you're replacing diesel uh, buses one-to-one -one with battery electric commercially and technically you just need a, a grid connection to plug them in. So definitely I think in terms of 
solutions in the grid and, and transport eventually hydrogen will play a role as batteries do now. They'll go alongside of each other. They perform similar roles. But commercially and, and technically right now, I think battery has the edge, particularly on, on buses and, and definitely in, uh, in cars for the, the coming years. Uh, trucks, on the other hand, is another matter. And maybe Ayan can uh, speak to that as well from his experience. That's how I see it. Yeah, I am. I mean, um, everything that Josh said there backed up by some of the results as well in the, the new motion EV driver survey. You know, interestingly, batteries supporting the grid, one of the uh, key figures to come out of that would be that drivers would be interested in receiving financial benefits in return for allowing their EVs battery to, to be used to support the grid. Is that something that you, you thought might be coming? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, people are parked a lot of time of the day. So uh, the charging needs, uh, let's say 50 kilometers, so 10 kilowatt hour, while your battery is 50, it's basically 20%. So you can just charge um, when needed. And there is no direct urgency uh, for the majority of the, the trips. And um, to incentivize the people to plug it in, but not immediately start charging, you do need either a financial uh, incentive or um, something else. So that can be uh, a discount in the upfront um, price you pay or uh, saving some money for, um, for example, cheaper charging on the go when you do need that um, fast charge. So I think that's what the industry is currently um, experimenting with. There are many different options uh, and in different countries, different solutions uh, apply. Um, as Numotion, we did a test with um, smart charging and we just provided points. So gamification and people loved it. Uh, just to be aware with the environment, sustainability. So there was no financial uh, parameter accounted to it. And um, I think that's what yeah, can be an incentive as well. Um, however, the market is really competitive. A lot of players, utilities, uh, oil companies, as we are um, backed with Shell, everyone wants to take a share of this market. Uh, the car manufacturers themselves, uh, lease companies. So how the incentives will be provided and what people offer to win that customer, I think that's exciting to uh, see happening and means for us as Numotion that we need to be uh, agile and the same uh, for Shell. We, we need to respond. There is no fixed solution that we can offer uh, across Europe uh, at this moment. And I do get the sense that, um, you know, EV drivers feel as if they're kind of on this journey with companies like yours, uh, New Motion. And indeed, you know, what you're building at Lightyear as well, Martijn, you know, 73% um, of people in this survey uh, agree that they would be willing to delay charging until later in the day in order to avoid a peak in demand. So people are very much willing to do their bit, aren't they, uh, when it comes to uh, you know, building this network and this community uh, of, of, of EVs for a more sustainable future. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's also about that not purely technical, purely economic, as, as Arjen also said, I really recognize that. So the fact that you can provide for yourself and that you can like charge your car with the energy that you got from the roof of your own house, they're the same electrons, but, but they feel a bit more special than, <laughs> than other electrons just coming from the grid, right? Uh, and that makes it really hard to predict where the ball will roll, so to say. But um, that ownership of something sustainable and that you uh, uh, made yourself, basically, it's, uh, it, I think it can be quite powerful in the, uh, in the future. And Martin, do you think the growth of EVs will ultimately change the way our roads and networks look in the future? Yeah, definitely. I think you'll see a lot of places to plug them in. 
even even with a really small amount of, of power available but just the fact that you can interact with the, with the power grid with the, with a small capacity can already uh, add a lot of value uh, uh, we believe um, so in that sense the sort of the parking situations change uh, the the way you uh, you choose where to park etc especially the the more sort of decentralized energy grid is what comes with that i uh, i think uh, and and having a vehicle that's that's not just a user of energy but also a, sort of a buffer uh, or in, in Lightyear's case, also maybe a provider of energy because of the, the energy that you get to the, to the roof of the vehicle. Uh, that changes the role of that vehicle in the system as a whole quite a, uh, quite a lot. Uh, and not, not to mention that, uh, that together with EV, of course, there's a lot of other things that, that come, uh, come along with cars that, that drive themselves and, uh, uh, and sometimes even charge themselves. <laughs> uh, that, that changes a lot of the, the, the way you look and you, the way you use a, a vehicle as well. And, and that use also gets back to, the, to how you, um, uh, what, what it costs to drive a vehicle, right? Where before it was very much about the buying fuel, as Josh already mentioned, and uh, spending quite a lot on, on maintenance because of the limited lifetime of a, of a vehicle. And all those kinds of things change with a lot of opportunity for newcomers, I think, to, uh, uh, to come up with new business models, etc. For sure. And Ian, you talked about, you know, that total cost of ownership, didn't you? You know, pretty early on in the podcast, people are viewing it as, as an investment opportunity. Uh, then there are some financial benefits that go along with the environmental benefits of, of switching to electric. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's interesting result also from the survey. The majority of people say they drive an EV because of the environment. And then as a second reason, they have the financial benefit it provides Currently still with subsidies, in a few years uh, you don't need those subsidies anymore, maybe you're penalized if you actually drive in a, a non-electric uh, vehicle. So, so that is one. On the other hand, um, consumers are not always that price sensitive. So people um, drive in uh, Mercedes versus a Skoda or whatever brand people have. So there is different perceptions of uh, value and I think that's what you currently see also with the early adopters. Some people uh, are happy to pay a little bit more for electric vehicles still today because of this uh, environment. I think that's where the uh, fleet business is very different. So uh, coming back to a statement from George earlier about electric trucks, first of all, they were not really around a couple of years ago. So they are only being produced right now. In the past, it was more pilots. Uh, but fleet owners, uh, they are very cost conscious. So they want the cheapest uh, solution as long as it doesn't impede their operations. So that's a very important uh, um, yeah, obstruction. And I think as New Motion, we've historically focused uh, on um, the passenger vehicles because the market was there. I think right now, together with Shell, we do see that momentum changing and uh, trucks becoming available. The uh, light commercial vehicles are already there, for example, Nissan ENV 200. Um, and they are actually on a shortage. So the demand is higher than the supply. So that is one of the bottlenecks right now in adoption. Can we get enough of those vehicles to the uh, consumers that want to drive them or the businesses that want to drive them? Yeah. Josh, I see you nodding away in the background there uh, to everything Ian said and, and also Martijn as well. You know, what's your view on uh, the way in which EVs are changing the roads and the networks? Yeah, I think the the big change that's coming is really the mentality around the the sort of my car being a cost, total cost of ownership to a, a source of revenue. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface of, of what's possible out of cars and, and trucks and vans at volume. 
Um, if you take, for example, the, the Ajax, the football stadium, the soccer club, uh, Mobility House did a project there where they took secondhand uh, Nissan Leaf batteries, so out of the already paid for batteries, put them into the into the stadium, um, predominantly for an innovation, but also practically because of the fact that the grid connection nearby is very weak. We have the same experience. Uh, we need to put some electric buses there. Rather than build out the grid connection, they used existing uh, batteries behind the meter on their stadium. And then the next step is to pay the customers, the, the fans, the soccer fans who are driving their Teslas to the game. They sit there for three hours. It's a 10-kilometer journey from their home. Uh, you know, They're sitting there, charge it at home off the solar for free, park at Ajax, watch the soccer game, and get paid money. You're basically making money while you're watching the football game to go drive home with basically a 60% full car. So the same with, with buses as well. When you talk about 300 kilowatt, 400 kilowatt batteries, a 1,000, you're in the tens of megawatts of energy. Uh, all of a sudden, you're a small peaking plant of a gas plant. So I think in the future, uh, the, the role of EVs will go from what is the impact on the grid to how are they going to help distributed energy flow through the grid in a positive way where consumers who in the beginning will look at, you know, can I make the next journey? How much can I make from uh, this as well? And, and you saw it with solar when you gave them the solar panel and you see their own electrons coming out. And uh, Matai mentioned it before, we had the same with Denso uh, eight years ago with the home energy management system. If you give someone a panel, they start thinking differently about how they consume energy. And if they can start making money, they, they also turn things off. So I think that'll come with EVs in the next stage where people will start to look at the, the car as a source of revenue uh, or certainly in the first phase less cost than, than the, what they're paying now on an ongoing basis, irrespective of the upfront cost. Fascinating, because never before has that happened where, you know, the average consumer can start making money from their vehicle when they're not using it, really, has it? You know, so it's a complete game changer uh, for, for those adopters of EVs. I was just going to say, there, there are still some uh, things that we need to get over. So regulation is one. So we're not allowed to own and store and, and export energy as, uh, as consumers without being uh, penalised for it or at least controlled. And, and second of all, what we see, particularly in the bus world, which is going to be interesting to see how the automotive treat it, the only way to guarantee battery warranties and lifetimes is by controlling the use. And so uh, letting people drive and fill up or charge once every now and then is okay. But if they're going to use this equipment on an ongoing basis for a different purpose, then then you'll get into a different ownership structure to Ayan's point, who, who owns the battery and, and the vehicle. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that develops as well. Absolutely. Final question, because uh, we're almost out of time, but the EV market is moving quickly, as we've already established. Many, many innovations, many developments are happening, and there's lots more in the pipeline. Martin, you already touched on driverless vehicles being one of them. Can I just go round and just ask what innovation you're most looking forward to over the uh, the short to medium term that you just can't wait to to see in action? And, and Martin, we'll start with you. Is it the driverless vehicle? Yeah, I believe it's a driverless vehicle in combination with the big increase in energy efficiency. We really believe that that's sort of the next wave that that will come to EVs because that. It's a technical, it's an engineering problem that uh, makes vehicles so much more usable, so much more affordable. That's really a no-brainer that, that the market would uh, will move that way. Brilliant. And I am? Yeah, I am really curious what Josh mentioned, the monetization and ability of your vehicle, uh, so the smart charging, etc. cetera. Um, so I won't mention that. So uh, I think the in, inner city um, transformation. So cities will close for um, non-electric vehicles. 
I think with shared vehicles, especially people living in the city center, not having a, par- a private driving spot, uh, getting this autonomous vehicle to drive them from A to B can totally change uh, the city. So make more space for cycling and uh, just uh, make it a better place to uh, to be. So uh, I think that's exciting uh, to see as well in the, uh, let's say, 10 years. Absolutely. And finally, Josh, what are you most excited about from the future? Maybe I'll focus on the unsexier part, the real technical side. Uh, you see already now with Hyundai, with their cars, you know, on the on the voltages of the of the battery, the ability to handle charging, for example, going from 200 volt to 400, 800, um, and and so that what that does is you are able to reduce your time from 40 minutes to 10 minutes, and then the whole you know range anxiety becomes less of an issue, and also the chemistry. I, I want to see solid state batteries get us to a thousand kilometers and not even be an issue, uh, where we can drive as far as we want, charge as quickly as we want, and use it in other ways. Um, and that will all come because of these incremental changes and, and progressions we're seeing on the technical level of batteries, thanks to uh, people like Matain who are pushing the boundaries on solar and capacitators and voltage and all of these uh, cooling solutions for cells. That's what I'm actually looking forward to the most. Some really exciting uh, innovations in the pipeline. It's a, it's a really brilliant industry to be part of. And uh, Josh Carmichael, battery expert, uh, Martin Lammers, co-founder and chief strategy officer at Lightyear, and Ayan Kayser, uh, chief strategy officer at New Motion. Thank you so much for joining us on the Wheels in Motion podcast today. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Well, worth it. Thanks very much. Thank you, too. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Josh and Martin. It was fun.